Well, this week, it's likely a, an infamous streak will be snapped uh, for James Madison football. Welcome in. Today is Tuesday, April 23rd. This is the Rocktown Sports Pod by the Daily News Record. I'm Greg Medea, the JMU football beat writer at the paper, joined alongside by sports editor Jim Sacco uh, to start this week's edition of the pod. JMU, they, they haven't had a ton of bad streaks uh, or negative streaks, I guess you could say, in recent years. But one they've had is they haven't, surprisingly, you think about there they have guys in the NFL, but they haven't had anybody drafted since 2013. Uh, and this is the week that that could come to an end as Jimmy Moreland, the cornerback, uh, is, is a top prospect. For the Dukes, it, it's crazy to think. No, nobody drafted out of JMU. Yeah, and like you said, it's it's an infamous streak, which if you're a fan of the movie Three Amigos, as I am, of course we all know that means more than famous uh, in referring to El Guapo. Uh, but, I, yeah, I mean, it, that's it's... I, I would use just interesting it, to me. It's it's very interesting that they're, you know, for the quality that program has been for, you know... Five years. Yeah. They, made, they made the playoffs least, five years in a row. Five years. Yeah. Uh, and even when you go back to the quality of play that was there during the stretch and they weren't making the playoffs in the final years under Mickey, uh, that, you know, that no one saw anyone worthy of, you know, using a draft pick on. And, and I, I get it, you know, that undrafted free agent is probably the way to go for a lot of these guys. But at the same point, I mean, I, you, there's got, had to be someone deserving. And, 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 you know, why not Jimmy? I mean, you know, we've, we've you know, we've burnt this podcast. <laughs> Talking about you know at least my fandom of, of the story you know not necessarily the, the the player which you know I'm I'm not gonna be a fan of a, a player that we've covered but I mean it just the story I could be a fan of the story and just the story is just you know amazing and you touched on it with your really good article that was in the paper on on Tuesday and was online uh, on Monday uh, just you know how he's he turned heads from the you know he turned these coaches heads. You know who gave him the second chance, and who admitted that they were just—you know—they were very—they were harder on him than most because of the the situation surrounding his return to the football team. You know, you when when someone screws up, you got to watch their backs, and you're gonna—you know—you know—I was a middle child, man. You know, you know, I, I, yeah. I mean, I, I know what it's like to be put underneath the microscope more so than anyone else, but you know. Some of that, and a lot of that, what as well with you know with Jimmy, some of that was of my own doing, and some of it was just the fact that I was the middle child. But I mean, is I got to think. I mean, do you think that you know that 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 the way he was treated by these coaches, you know, with with that iron fist, you know, did that is that maybe what helped his draft stock his draft stock rise over the year? I mean, ultimately, I mean, obviously, coaches being angry at someone isn't going to make their draft stock rise, but it's going to spurn you to do something that's going to make your draft stock rise, I would imagine, Greg. So, I mean, when Jimmy's drafted, let's say, in a round higher than no one expects him to go, can he look back, maybe, on the treatment he got from these coaches and, and, and how much more of a microscope he was put under and how much harder he was asked to work on and off the field, can he point to that and say, hey, this is why I went in the fifth round as opposed to the seventh or eighth? Yeah, I do think that's that's a big part of it. I, he, he's even said it. And I, I'll, I'll play the audio clip in a minute uh, of, of Moreland's thoughts on, on what JMU did for him. Uh, but the fact that he knew he couldn't mess up again because Houston wasn't going to let that fly – is a big part of this whole whole thing. He he didn't want to let the guy down. And this was his words. He didn't want to let the guy down that gave him that opportunity. Uh, he said that when he first came back on the team as a sophomore. He said that as a junior. 
Uh, and he said that throughout his senior season when he was the only upperclassman out there on the field with the defense. Rashad Robinson had gotten hurt, and they were looking for somebody to step up and take a leadership role on defense. And he was the guy, especially in the secondary, that they looked to and said, well, he is the most experienced guy. I know he's messed up before, but he's going to be the guy that they rely on. So that's that's what that's what Jimmy was able to bring to the table. He, he took his mistake that the Petty Larson he charged in, in the spring of 2015 – uh, and put it in the rearview mirror. It's just, it's just really interesting because in that time between him getting kicked off the team and him coming back, he actually went to a junior college for a week. Uh, I put that in a story a couple of years ago, uh, and then I, I asked him about it this past week when, or Monday whenever I talked to him, and he was saying, you know, just, just thinking about what could have been if he went down that road, he might not be where he is now. Uh, you know, he said 100% the decision to come back to JMU was right because – he was able to clean up the mistake at the pe- at the place and with the people uh, he messed up with in the first place. So he said he has no regrets about what he did because he able to he was able to fix the mistake. So I thought that was really interesting. And here here is Jimmy Moreland on what James Madison's coaches uh, did for him uh, during his career and and really after he came back uh, from from his year away from the program. They they um, saw the person that was inside of me. No, I'm a good cat. You know, a dude that loves the game of football, a smart dude, and a comedian as well. You know, I'm an all-around type of character. You know, they, they really put to me at all my moments. Um, Jules Montanar, you know, even Coach Everett Withers. Um, you got Carrico, you got Coach Weaver. All of them saw the man that was in me, you know, the maturity that was growing up. They saw that I can mature. They saw I can be a, a better person than what they was hearing when they first got there. So that was Jimmy Moreland, uh, Duke's cornerback. Uh, on on just his whole situation because that's what this this week is about. The draft is runs Thursday through Saturday, and odds are, uh, depending on the, the mock draft you're looking at, he'll be drafted any time between the third and, and the seventh round. Uh, but that that's the story. It's it's the come it's the comeback story. It's the human it's the human element, right? And I think that yeah, and I think that you know, no matter what you do in life, you're gonna piss off your parents. That, that's not something you can ever be afraid of or worried about because it's going to happen. I think what you can be afraid of, or not afraid of, but maybe worried about is disappointing them. And I know it's the joke, you know, when you, I'm not mad at you, son, I'm just disappointed. And I think maybe that's, you know, when, when Mike Houston lets this guy back on the team three years ago, uh, I think maybe that's what it was. You know, Jimmy didn't want to disappoint the guy who gave him the second chance. I mean, you're gonna, they're gonna get a coach is gonna get mad at you. It happens okay? every day in practice. Whether you whether you mean to or not, you're not gonna go full speed in one or two drills just because hey, you're tired. B, you didn't get the rest last night. You didn't get a good breakfast in you that morning. But of, and, and a coach is gonna get pissed. I think hit, what maybe spurred him on was for the coach not to be disappointed, and not so much maybe what he was doing on the field either. Maybe just be disappointed at what you're doing off the field. And for three years, this guy did everything right and made sure that no one was disappointed at what he did off the field. Well, not not to mention, it was on a trial basis he came back, and he wasn't on scholarship when he came back. He used to make him earn his scholarship back. So he did that by the time he was a junior uh, and, and really just performed at, at extremely high level. And, and I think that's... That's kind of what helps the stock rise too, because uh, you can you can be this great story and be a contributor on a team that wins a national championship. But when you go from contributor 
consensus all american uh, that's that's a huge that's a huge difference yeah and and it's that's a big jump and 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 i think when you 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 take that into the count of what his journey was non-scholarship contributor scholarship consensus all american uh the talk of you know everyone's talking about if you're involved in the jmu circle you're talking about jimmy moreland's going to get drafted this weekend whether it happens or not you know we no one knows but i mean that's what you're talking about and for those people who are talking about this, Greg, I mean, I'm going to ask you, what, what does it mean for this program to have, to, to get off this night? What, 2013? Yeah, 2013, it was Earl Watford, yeah. uh, a former offensive lineman who was selected by the Cardinals. I believe he's still in the league. Uh, but... And, and, I, I, and a lot, and, and not taking anything away from, from, from Earl, who's a fantastic player, uh, and everybody I mean. You know, I think people gravitate more towards the, the the hot dog position drafts. You know, the draftees. You know, offensive linemen. You know, the grunts, man. You know, I mean, that, that's great. they work hard and they deserve exactly. it. Can make a lot of money, and that's something great to be proud of. And and if you're really, if you're one of the super fans of the program, you're, you're like, oh yeah, you got we got our old, we got an old, old lineman or a tight end out there in the NFL. But I mean, here's one of those positions where you know you get seen. You know, you're not in this cluster of mountain men you know in front of the quarterback you're seen you're going to be on highlights or you know you're going to be on your highlights you're going to be on someone else's highlights for getting burnt or you're pulling down a pick i mean what you know for that in that aspect i guess what is it you know for, for that they have that kind of spotlight position you know what does this mean for this program to not only break that break that draft streak but to have a potential you know rising star maybe or a potential a guy with a guy with a high ceiling, let's say a guy that. with the potential to be a star, I, yeah. I think. Because you don't know how it's going to work out in the NFL, but if he gets in the right system, right mm-hmm. scheme, all of a sudden he's maybe you know starting on Sundays and, and you're looking at a guy who can pick off the ball and return it for a touchdown if he gets the ball in his hand. So I think that's that's kind of the important part. Like You can you can see the potential of turning on SportsCenter one morning and waking up to see highlights of Jimmy Moreland picking off a pass of, of whoever the quarterback is, Aaron Rodgers or Eli Manning, whoever, and him taking it the other way for a touchdown. Like That's not a, that's not a crazy concept to think about. Uh, I don't so care I think, who he's playing for. If I see him returning an interception for a touchdown against uh, Aaron Rodgers, I'm going crazy. I'm buying a jersey. Well, you, you never know. He could, he could be a member of the Bears. You, you never know. But I think just on the surface as far as the draft goes, I know that was one thing Mike Houston had spoken about is wanting to have this program accomplished while he was while he was the head coach, and I think this class is still part of that with his with his legacy. Considering they finished their careers under Houston Moreland in this this senior class, so I, I would consider if Moreland gets drafted, that's that's part of a Houston accomplishment. Uh, I also think just from a brand standpoint, from a JMU brand standpoint, they're probably looking at it thinking, uh, you know, NFL Network. ESPN, all those, both those networks carry the draft. When Jimmy Moreland's name pops across the screen, uh, odds are, you know, Mel Kiper, whoever's on set, uh, is going to be talking about Jimmy Moreland, and they're showing highlights of James Madison. There's a Duke Dog logo, so I think that, from that perspective, that's a good thing. Because sometimes, even though you win championships, you go to the FCS title game. You get lost in the shuffle in FCS sometimes, especially around draft time if you don't have anybody drafted. And they've, they've had good players over the past couple of years. Raven Green, Aaron Stinney go on to the NFL, but it wasn't as part of a, the NFL draft. So I think that's that's a big part of it too. Yeah, and you're going to get maybe the Maddie Zone highlights with the soulful stylings of Kurt Dudley giving you the play-by-play or the color commentary there. And it's just a nice, yeah, I mean, I agree. It's a nice selling point. Uh, you know, you talked about maybe, you know, watching them return picks and, you know, that, that possibility as well. Is there, is there a, I mean, 
who is there a, are there any number of uniforms that he could be wearing when he returns a pick if he does I mean who has he had some pre-draft you know workouts with who's he talked to who's he visited Greg yeah so Jimmy told me yesterday he kind of ran through the list of teams uh, he had private workouts in the days after pro day with the Arizona Cardinals Indianapolis Colts and San Francisco 49ers uh, so those are three teams that will probably be looking to draft Jimmy. Uh, he also had a visit to the Chicago Bears and another visit to the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, and then there's the tie to the New York Giants with Everett Withers being the defensive backs coach there. Uh, I know Everett booted Jimmy from the team, uh, but that's that's something to think about knowing that Everett, Everett knows that Jimmy made good on, on his second chance that he got after Everett went down over to Texas State. So that's just, that's just something to think about. Uh, and another tie, I think, is the Tennessee Titans. Uh, their director of, of player personnel, well, not director of player personnel, but somebody in their personnel scouting department uh, was with Withers as his personnel guy. Uh, so that's that's been an option. And you think Aaron Stinney was there, uh, and he signed an undrafted free agent contract with the Titans. Uh, Hyman had a tryout with the Titans. Ankara had a tryout with the Titans. Jordan Brown had a tryout with the Titans last year. So <laughs> the, the, the Nashville pipeline, huh? Yeah, so it, 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 there, I think there will be an opportunity for Jimmy. He also told me he's, he's spoken – uh, with I think you know he said nearly all 32 I think nearly all 32 teams was the quote in the past couple of days with them asking for his phone number making sure they had the right uh, contact info for this week this coming weekend so uh, he, he's gonna have he's gonna have plenty of opportunity I know I know and this is, I'll play another audio clip because this is Jimmy uh, this was Jimmy uh, just on his draft stock and, and how it's kind of been rising over the past couple of months with all the numbers I put up, you know, a DB coach told me that's in the league right now. Um, he told me with those numbers, if I was at LSU or any FBS school, I would have been first round, you know. Wow. So, you know, I don't, go, I don't go about what people think, what my draft stock should be. You know, I just know what I'm capable of doing. You know, um, you also hear a lot about all the, all the, all the good players that's in the league, great players. They, they haven't, they wasn't gone in the drop, in the top drop picks. So, you know, I just look at things like that. And I just think the other part of it, too, is, you know, he, he played well in the Shrine game, played well in the Senior Bowl. Oh, yeah. And then you think about all the scouts that go to those games, oh, yeah. and, and he's he's right there in the middle of it. He's done everything he could possibly do up to this point to, to get himself drafted, and, and that's all you can ask from him at this point. I mean, and these guys don't tip their hand, do they? I mean, Jimmy's not going to sit there and tell you who he would like to be drafted by, Not that, and it doesn't probably doesn't even matter to him. He just wants that opportunity, I'd imagine. Yeah, he, he pretty much said, he said, I, I could go in the third round, I could sign his undrafted free agent. He's like, if I cared about when I was going or where I was going, he's like, I would have cared about you know playing D1 foot FBS football <laughs> instead of playing at James Madison and uh, you know tried to move up at some point he said you know he'll just try to make the best of his opportunity he's ready for it to be over he also I so bet. he said it's, it's a long process he said he's enjoyed getting to know everybody but he it's just as he said it's a very long and grueling process I bet I, we talked a little about it I think a couple podcasts ago where you know I, I brought up possibility of hey do you see him at safety you shot that down immediately yeah. thanks for that uh, <laughs> I mean we where is it, and I know we talked a little bit about the, the the Devin Hester potential of you know with his speed, uh, with Jimmy's speed and his how he's you know he can return punts you know and this and that and whatnot. But in terms of you know everyday position, I mean, where do you see him as a better prospect? I mean, is he, is he a slot cornerback guy, or are we going to see him traditional? I I think probably at least at first the slot corner position makes sense. You think about his size; he's he's not a big guy. I I see. Over his eyes when I when, when we're standing next to him, interviewing him. Uh, so he's not a very tall guy. 
uh, Jimmy, and I think that's the one thing that, that may hurt him in the draft process. That's why I think the slot cornerback spot is perfect for him. I know that's where uh, former cornerbacks coach Trip Weaver and Houston had told me they, they thought Jimmy had the potential to be a pro player a couple of years ago when he played Sam Houston State. Explain to an idiot, maybe such as myself, What's the difference between a slot and traditional cornerback? So the slot corner typically lines up against an inside receiver uh, or a tight end, a slot receiver. Uh, So it kind of just mirrors that slot receiver position, whereas the traditional corner plays out wide uh, and plays, you know, pretty much against the sideline. I think think that's the best way to put it against a wide receiver. So slot is more responsible for the middle of the field. Yes. Why does does his size make him better for that than maybe a traditional? Well, th- think about those slot receivers, your, your Julian Edelman types, Danny Amendola types, uh, that that cause chaos because of their quick twitch and, and shiftiness. Moreland has that great range where he has the speed to keep up with those guys and, you know, just has great ball skills for quarterbacks looking at, looking at you know, kind of sneak the ball in the middle of the field. Uh, so I think that's why a lot of people see him a- as a good fit there, and it's because he has those elite man-to-man skills and coverage at least that's what what Tripper Weaver had told me uh the former cornerbacks coach who's now at Western Carolina as their their defensive passing game coordinator so I think the slot is probably where he fits best give me your prediction where do you think I know where where where, where do you think I mean what where does your gut tell you what round and who I think the fifth round I think the fifth round I think that's probably the safest bet everybody's saying between three and seven I'll take the middle I'll, I'll take the middle and go fifth I, it, it's tough to say where. I just have this feeling he's going to end up in Chicago. I, I think he's going to end up with the Bears. You think about it, he went to visit there. He told me uh, he had kind of a, a, a wow moment when he's sitting in a meeting room with a couple of the Bears coaches and Khalil Mack walks in. Uh, he said that was that was kind of cool. He said he didn't really get to meet Mack, but Mack kind of stumbled into his meeting uh, with, without knowing there was a meeting going on. So I just think Chicago, something about it, fifth round with the Bears. Does he not put ketchup on his hot dog? Because if he puts ketchup on his hot dog, he's not going to get drafted by the Bears. What, That's why? just the bottom line. That why is that a long-standing tradition in Chicago? You don't put ketchup on your hot dog in Chicago, man. Ketchup for fries, man. <laughs> I don't know. I, ketchup on a hot dog's ketchup, fine. Ketchup for fries, man. I don't think I've ever had ketchup on a hot dog. Oh man. <laughs> All right. Well, whatever. Uh, well, well, we won't end with that, with this conversation. We'll end with a quote from Mike, with, with a nice audio <laughs> clip from Mike Houston. Not to get the listeners too off track. Uh, Mike Houston, this was his thoughts on, on how he'll feel when, when Jimmy Moreland gets drafted. Well, I think number one just is uh, a relief uh, that he does get drafted. You know, I think that's, that's the thing. Until the draft uh, <laughs> takes place, you don't know, you know what's going to happen. And we've been disappointed with uh, you know, some of the guys not getting taken. Uh, you know, the past couple of years there. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think that when you look at this is a guy that was not even on the roster when I took the job at James Madison. He'd been dismissed. Yeah. And and to – and I'll tell you, we were – I was not uh, – it was not an easy deal. Uh, you know, I made him earn everything that he got that first year back. You know, it was – we were pretty hard on him. Mm-hmm. Um but seeing how much he's matured and how much he has grown and to not only become the player that he was this past year, but uh, I think even more so uh, just in, just I'm very proud of him with the kind of person he has developed himself into. And uh, so I think just very proud 
that uh, that he'll have that dream come true moment. So that was that was Mike Houston on on his thoughts about Jimmy Moreland possibly being drafted. So we'll, we'll finish there with the NFL draft stuff. Draft is Thursday through Saturday. Uh, follow along dnronline.com or dukesofjmu.com uh, to read everything on Jimmy. We'll have a couple more stories uh, throughout the week. And, and follow you on Twitter because you'll be watching this this draft and, and keeping people informed of what's going on as well, I'd imagine. Yeah, for, for sure, of yeah. course. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely keep people uh, informed. At Medea underscore DNR Sports. <laughs> Shameless plug. Yeah. All right. Uh, we'll, we'll bring in Cody Elliott now, our, our prep writer, to join the conversation. Because some interesting things going on at the prep level. And I, I want to start with, with something that will add a nice little touch to the postseason in the Valley District. Uh, approved last week, according to Cody, that Harrisonburg will be allowed back in Valley District tournaments. Uh, so I'll, I'll kind of just open with this. How... how did this come about? I know the Blue Streaks probably feeling a little left out. That uh, they're not invited to the party at the end of the season. Yeah, well, I know that uh, Don Burgess has been a big, um, you know, proponent of trying to get them back into the district. He's always talked to me about the history of the Valley District and how he, he used to play in the district tournaments and just how special that was for Harrisonburg. And um, I know when Brandon Burley came over at the beginning of the year as the new AD, that was something that he was um, very on board with. He said that he'd like to see them get back into it. Um, I know they've, they've went through the process through this year trying to figure out a way to kind of include them. Um, they are the only Class 5 school in the district, so it obviously th- there's a little twist into it. Um, but they have agreed uh, last week, according to Brandon Burley, um, that they did vote them in. They did say that that will start next season um, or next year. Uh, and so, yeah, they're going to they're gonna be in, in the tournaments. Um, and from what we've understood so far, uh, they'll receive a first-round buy, so it doesn't affect any, any of the uh, regional bursts that come up. Um, the Valley will still get two bursts with a third uh, kind of being based off a wild-card scenario that some of us still don't quite sometimes understand at times. But, um, yeah, so they, they will be back in the tournaments, and I think, it's, I think that's big for them. Um, you know, they for in, in several sports over the past few years, they've had that big layoff between the end of the regular season and when their postseason starts, and that can be kind of a kind of throw things off a little bit. You know, they, they go a week and a half, two weeks without playing, and by the time they step back on the court, you know their their chemistry is off. Everything's a little a little different. So I think that's big for them. And if you look, you know, especially in the winter sports, I mean, the boys and the girls teams were arguably the second best teams in the district this year, and neither one was in the district tournament. So um, I think it's a good thing to have them back in. It's, it'll be interesting to see. You know, across all the districts next year, there's a lot of different classifications. Um, you know, the Shenandoah's got class one, class two, and class three schools. The Bull Run will have a little bit of everything, and then obviously the Valley will will have Harrisonburg with class five. So it'll be kind of interesting interesting to see how it all plays out and how you know confusing it gets at times trying to keep up with wh- wh- who's going where and, and how it affects the regional burst. You like this, Jim? Ah, I mean, I guess I'm happy. I mean, I, I get the, you know, I, I, I'm with Don Don on this in terms of, you know, when I, when I was first started covering the Valley District, you know, too many moons ago, it was it was that history of what he spoke, you know, or what he what he what he was playing in, and it was the the Burgies against the Hatchers and the and, and people lined up around Waynesboro High School for their their game with Ari Lee, and and it was all that back in those days, and I you know it. I guess the acceptance of that it's never gonna we're never gonna. Go since now that we're, we're we're six classes, we being the Virginia High School League, we're we're never gonna have single class districts. I don't uh-huh. foresee it ever happening again. 
so I guess maybe it's just a slow acceptance for me. I mean, I, I got why they, why Harrisonburg basically voluntarily didn't want to, at least the administration volunteered uh, to not play in the, in the Valley District Tournament at the time, you know, going back now two years, because it would have screwed up some of those. It, you know, it, it had the potential to muddy uh, the regional seedings a little bit for the Valley District. Uh, you know, I think it, it was kind of on the rest of the Valley District to figure out a way to to, to get them back involved. And, and I know, you know, if this is, I guess, a good way to do it, you know, give them that first round by, bring them in. You know, I, my understanding is Valley District's regular season champ. Okay, you got yourself a region bid. And then from that point, it's going to be the highest rate or the, you know, the, the Valley District team that finished the highest in the tournament other than Harrisonburg. And then, you know, going back to the, the power points for that third seed, though that can be anyone. That could be the Jefferson, that could be the Seminole, that could be anyone in, 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 three, in, in class three uh, in that region, excuse me. I, I mean, I guess it's more of, I don't know if it's a happiness, it's more of just a, 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 An okay? a pained acceptance. Yeah, well, you, and I wonder how much Fort leaving, Fort Defiance leaving, going to the Shenandoah kind of affected this too because, you know, if, you take them out, then you've only got five teams at that point that would have been able to play in the postseason. Yeah. So, you know, at least Harrisburg puts it at six. You get two teams with a first-round bye. Um, I'm sure that had to have some kind of impact on it as well. Yeah. What, I, I mean, it's I, – I, I, like I said, in terms of the historical significance, I'm 100% with Don Don. I mean, it's just, you know, he gets it. You know, he played in it. Uh, I get it. I covered it. You know, I've seen it in action back when it when those – you know, Valley District semifinals were the best games of the year. Uh, it's 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 good enough, I guess. And at the same point, I also got why they asked him not. You know why? You know Harrisburg got out. But like Cody said, that layout that layout that layoff's got to be a killer, especially if you're winning. If you you go into the you finish your regular season with an eight, nine, ten game winning streak in whatever sport you're in, and then, oh god, okay, guess what? We got to sit down on our butts and practice for the next week and a half. Yeah, that stinks. Yeah. yeah. And what you're going to see more of is what we talked about a while back on this podcast with the with basketball is where we had teams like Wilson Memorial losing. And then they, and this not just in the Valley District, but this will be across a lot of the districts now with so many different classifications. You'll have teams losing and then having to wait two, three nights to find out if they, they could possibly still be advancing because of the different classifications. And, you know, with Shenandoah, we've seen that a lot with Riverheads having quality teams that advance. And then because of that, you know, teams that lose in the first round will oftentimes get to still move on. And so you'll probably see more of that, you know, as, as the years go along and these, these districts, you know, continue to have one, two, three different classifications in them. What what sport does it impact most? You think well, basketball? I, I mean, basketball. I think is the sport that you would see the most in terms of competitiveness. Um, you know, the volleyball team it hasn't been quite you know in the top tier recently, and um, I think basketball. Like I said, you you look at the girls team; they were arguably the number two team right there with Fort Defiance, and then the boys team. Um, you know, if they would have if they would have been in the tournament this year, they would have been the number two seed. Broadway got that seed because Harrisburg wasn't in it, so. Um, I think yeah, that's that's definitely the one that certainly stands out at first. You know, it's having a big, big impact, but um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out once they get in there. Yeah, no, that, it's, it's an interesting topic for sure. I, obviously, got, kind of sounds like a repercussion, a realignment, a little bit too, uh, with what's going on in the couple of districts uh, that Cody mentioned. Uh, so interesting topic. Nonetheless, Cody, before we get to Broadway baseball, I did want to bring up your Chris Frazier story uh, that ran in today's DNR, Tuesday's DNR. 
Uh, needs a kidney. We, we talked about it a little bit last week, but I thought the story was really interesting because it showed kind of just how much of a fighter uh, he is. If you just show up to a TA football game on Friday nights, you, you, you don't know that. Yeah, I mean, that's what he even said when we were talking. He was like, a lot of people probably don't even realize I'm sick, and I, I, mean, I certainly didn't have any idea. Um, to be dealing with this for 12 years is obviously pretty uh, incredible. Um, he's maintained a great attitude through it all, and um, you know, he, he's just now he's just at the point where he's just trying to put himself out there and Maybe show show a little bit of vulnerability in just the terms of you know this is what he needs now and he's trying to stay on top of it. Um, you know, like I said in the story, he's he's always been very well prepared. He's used to it at being a coach, and I think you know this is something he's trying to get ahead of it before it gets too bad. And um, you know, I just I I can't applaud him enough for the attitude he's you know taking in, into this with everything. What's what's TA's administration? What's what's kind of their feeling there? Just because uh, they, they they he is their football coach. Yeah, well, they're not allowed to uh, comment uh, too much because of uh, Rockingham County uh, Public Schools, their policy. So I didn't get I didn't get to talk to them too much about it. But Chris did say that they've been very supportive. He said it was something that they talked about when he got hired. Um, he he told them, um, you know, straight up, this is what's going on. There could be a time, you know, whether it be three, four, or five years from now, whenever it may be. Um, but he said they've that Phil Judd, the principal, has been very supportive. Uh, Will Crockett's been there for him. So. Um, his main thing was he, he made a commitment to get that program turned around, and that's what he seems to be focused on doing while also dealing with, obviously, a very serious uh, life situation. They, they going to be any better this year, T.A., the, the Knights? Uh, you know, maybe uh, they they have probably nowhere to go up and but nowhere to go but up from here. Um, you know, last year I think you know they started off promising and they they looked like a team that could do better than the previous year where they won two games, um, and then they had that double overtime loss against Rockbridge, and that's where I've pointed to ever since then. I thought that loss, you know, kind of just derailed their season. After that, you know, they just they had a couple of blowouts. Uh, Grant Swinehart suffered an injury. He missed the last few games of the year, so things kind of went downhill. But they've got some good returns. Grant Swinehart will be back, and, um, you know, Trey Gillenwater will be back at quarterback. So they've got some good uh, options there, and we'll, and we'll see how much progress they can make. Yeah, no, interesting. Good story, though. Check it out, dnronline.com. Uh, you can read about Chris Frazier's uh, quest to find a kidney. Okay, back to a, a little bit better of a note, a little bit stronger, uh, positive of a note. Broadway baseball. How about the Gobblers? Thirteen and one, six and one in the Valley District. Did did you did you guys see this coming? What's well, let's start with Jim's take because he's known the Gobbler baseball program well over the past couple of years. And we'll go to you, Cody, uh, who probably thought TA was going to run away with this <laughs> thing. No, I mean I, I think you saw that Broadway had a, a, a lot of talent on the team. I mean you know. Let's start with, you know, begins and ends with Bryce Suter. But I don't think you saw this supporting cast. I mean, I didn't see this supporting cast. Peter Scheim. I mean, you know, where did this kid come from? Goodness <laughs> gracious. Uh, the M. Swiler kid off JV, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's just. Got cut two years ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. Hey, you got to tell that story. Yeah, yeah he got cut um, as an eighth grader. And then um, the ninth grade didn't come out because he was too. He said he was afraid he was going to get cut again. So he said he wasn't going to play. And then last year played JV and was, and was the best pitcher on JV. Came up this year. And. He's he's got. I mean, if you watched him play, I mean, he has got a very uh, unorthodox delivery. Everything he's all over the mound when he's throwing, but it has worked tremendously well this year. He's three four zero now. Um, one of the lowest ERAs in the Valley District. Uh, I mean, it, it's 
it's just one of those things. I mean, everything has just seemed to fall in place for him. Yeah, it's 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 lightning caught in a very talented bottle, and I don't because this is not luck. Obviously, that's yeah. happening because I mean, there's a lot of talent on that team, but I mean, this is a a very talented bottle that's caught this lightning, and and I'm just curious to see how quickly and how tightly they can put the cap on, and how long they can hold this for. Because I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, that region ain't that region isn't a cakewalk. You know, and, and, and Armstrong, Andrew Armstrong and Turner Ashby, who won a state title two years ago, would tell you that, even as good as they were. I mean, think about it. They got, you oh, know. Those games were tough. You know, that team before he won a state title had Brendan freaking Hanafy was one of their, was their pitcher. Okay, the guy's pitching for the, you know, Carolina, Carolina League Frederick Gies right now, and they couldn't win a state championship till the year after he was gone. Uh, you know, I mean, that, that's, that, that, that region is not a cakewalk. And, and I, I, I mean, I'm not. I'm not a predictor of things. I'm not going to sit here and tell you Broadway's going to run through that region. But you know, if Broadway comes out of that region, I mean, there there better be some excitement in in, in that town because that they, if they can come out of that region and go to that state tournament, uh, you know, you know, there there there's a very 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 strong possibility that they're you know they're going to make some noise. And I think that's the pivotal part, though, is do they come out? Do they come out of that region? How do they come out of that region? Do they come out of that region as winners and get to quote unquote closer to home uh, state quarterfinal? Do they come out as losers? They had to go travel somewhere. Uh, I'm just you know, and, and I'm not anointing them just yet. But I mean, they're on pace to win the Valley District. If they win the Valley District, they're going to the regionals. So then you know, then it's just a question of how they get out of regionals and. If they get out of regionals, that town better be excited because that is a very good ball club, not only this year. And I think that's what, you know, that's what I don't want people to forget. And I think you're with me on this, Cody, is that, you know, let's say they do, let's say they do get out of region, they lose in the state quarterfinals or maybe the state semis or, you know, dare I say, maybe they lose in the state championship game. Everybody's back. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, that, and I think what you're seeing is you're seeing a team that's now got confidence. I mean, I think that whenever TA started it, but you know, you're not seeing them play bad baseball games anymore. They get a win over Spotswood on Saturday. They they go down to Harrisonburg and they just kind of keep calm and cool and come back and win that game. Now they've won 11 in a row. I mean, you've got to be obviously good to do that. I think you're starting to see a team that kind of thinks they're the best team in the district now. It's not as much of can we make a run and kind of surprise people. They believe they are the best team and they're playing like it. And like Jim said, I was I was going to make note of that is this team, it does come back. I think anything, you know, if they get to the regional playoffs, even if they win one or two games, I think it's something to build off because, like he said, everybody comes back. I mean, you look at Imzlar as a junior. Petersheim's only a sophomore. Noah Hertzler, their third pitcher, he's a freshman. Um, Suters is a sophomore. So Suters is a man, though. I mean, yeah. we were laughing about that the other day. We saw this photo of him, like, screaming at second base. and I mean, he's he's a man. Yeah, this yeah. is not a – I mean, he's a, yeah, he's a sophomore. He hasn't reclassified or anything like that. He's a straight-up legit sophomore. But, goodness gracious, what? What is his off-season workout like? My God! I've talked to some of the the personal trainers around here, baseball wise, and they've compared him to. There was a guy, Daniel Bowman, who played at Turner Ashby 15 years ago, maybe, and he ended up going to Coastal Carolina. And they said that Bryce was 
as the closest thing they've seen to him in terms of his physical maturity at such a young age. And I mean, I, I, we have to. Me and Jim last week were looking at photos, and we were just like, "Oh my goodness!" I mean, he does not look like a sophomore. Or I mean, he, I think he just turned 16 last week, and it, it does not look like that at all. Yeah. He's hitting 469 with three homers and 17 RBIs through 14 games. Last, that's with a slump last week. He, he didn't particularly play well last week. He was hitting over. He was in like 540 something at, at the end of last week. Yeah, that's <laughs> oh my gosh! It's it's, it's unbelievable. Peter Scheim, Lore, Morris, Morris, Reed, all hitting over 293 or better. Hitting 293 or better. Most of those guys over 300, except Reed. Reed's right at 293. He also has 11 stolen bases, Reed. Uh, so Broadway just getting contributions from all over the place. And that's that's what makes this story really, really good. And probably, I don't know, one of the best team stories of, of this the school year, would you say, in terms of the prep level? Unless Harrisburg softball goes on a winning streak and oh, goes God. crazy, then yeah. I mean, this is just definitely the, the been the best story, I think, team-wise. I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, what, I, what can you say? Yeah, I mean, I think because mostly because this one, you, like we said earlier, you, we didn't we couldn't put our thumb on this one. I mean, you know, in every other sport, you could say that the teams that came out on top, we could for the most part, pretty much predict at the beginning of the season, you know, with Spotswood football, East Rock football, we knew they were going to be good teams. Basketball, we knew Spotswood girls were going to be good, East Rock boys. But this team, I mean, they've really come out of nowhere and to be sitting at 13-1. and one, um, You know, I sat here at the beginning of the year and I thought, you know, a team that went maybe, you know, Seven and five, eight and four could win the district, but they've just you know they've only lost one game, and they they look like the the far and better team by by a long shot right now. And I love the fact that they think they're the best team in the district. You know, I I love that fact that and that they're playing with that kind of confidence because you need that. You know, we all preach about no, you can't be cocky. I mean, they're not being cocky; they're confident. There's a difference here, okay? I mean, if you sit there and you know you're the best team in the district, and you're starting to believe you are, and you finally believe it, and you finally know it, you're going to be 13 and one. You're going to win 11 straight. Okay, those Turner Ashby state championship teams—they knew they were the best team in the district, which is why they won state championships. That you know, that Spotswood girls basketball team—they knew they were the best team in the district. That's why they've got what you know, one for the thumb now. You know, I mean, you know, they—they they know, and and I, and, I, and I love that about this this ball club is that. You know, they're this this confidence at such a young age, which is you know, I just can't. How good is that Valley District going to be next year? Because everyone's getting older. This team is going to be maybe I don't want to say head and shoulders above everyone else, but they're going to have a little bit of a winning edge over these younger teams like the young Turner Ashby, like the young Fort Defiances. You know, well, actually, Fort Defiance ain't going to be in the Valley District next year. Yeah. Uh, I mean, but you know, against the Spotswoods and against mm-hmm. the the Harrisonburgs and you know, against the you know. I, I yeah, mean, I mean, there is between Harrisonburg, TA, and Broadway, just those three right there. I mean, there is so much young talent across the board. TA is full of sophomores, Harrisonburg is full of freshmen, and then this Broadway team. I mean, yeah, that that district is going to be really, really good next year, um, all across the board. I mean, even you know teams like Rockbridge and Winsboro, who we don't cover as much, those teams are also really, really young. Um, there's not a lot of experience across the league this year, which was a big reason why I thought there'd be a lot of parity within the league. But um, you know, Broadway's just kind of taken taking the learning curve and, and went with it here this year. And, I mean, they're the real deal. I don't think there's any doubt about that now. I'll, I'll finish with this question for you, Cody. Uh, how long can they keep this winning streak going? Well, I, I mean, you know, I think 
I still think at any point they, they're capable. And I think, you know, with a young team, you've always got to worry about a random night where they do have a let. Now, you see that a lot more, and, and they haven't had that yet. They've had, um, you know, they've, they've seemed to kind of take every uh, challenge and go with it. But, um, you know, eventually, I, you know, you've got to think at some point they're going to have a night where, where whether it's a pitching performance gone wrong, a couple errors in the infield, something goes wrong. Um, but, I mean, they've, they've made it through the first half of their district schedule. Um, the only team they lost to was four, which they blew a, a four-run lead in the seventh. So, uh, I mean, I it, you know I, ca- I can't pinpoint a certain opponent, but I think it can go as long as as they keep um, put playing at the level they've been playing at so far. So we'll go from Broadway baseball to James Madison baseball. We'll switch gears. Big thanks to Cody and Jim for breaking down what's going on on the high school scene. We'll bring in Shane Metlin though. James Madison. Men's basketball, women's basketball. I go through it every week. You should know it by now. Men's basketball, women's basketball, but also softball and lacrosse. I, of course, do the local college baseball, JMU included. I'll touch on EMU at the end just because that's where I'm headed next after after we finish taping this podcast. But I want to start with JMU baseball first uh, before we get into softball and lacrosse with Shane. Nice bounce back for the Dukes. Uh, about two weeks ago, uh, we were thinking – there's no way James Madison's going to be able to turn this around. Uh, but the Dukes, they've won five straight since losing ten straight. Uh, so now they sit at 23-17, and 17, respectable. Uh, much, much, much better than what they were looking at after nearly dropping to 500. They are 4-8 in CAA play. And obviously that's, that's the big deal because if you're James Madison, you can't afford another year like last year where you didn't make the own – didn't make the conference tournament when it's in your own venue. Uh, can't have that again, and that's what JMU is looking for. Uh, they'll play UVA at UVA tomorrow, and they'll host Hofstra this weekend. Obviously, that's that's the end goal for any team uh, when you're in when, you, when you're in a conference tournament and it's being played in your own building. You got to get there. Yeah, and you know, like you said, you lose nine in a row, and you think kind of the sky is falling, and that's kind of what it looked like for a while, but then. You know, win five in a row, and they're kind of right back in it. But, like you said, it's kind of a bad timing for their uh, bad stretch of the year to come because it kind of dug them a hole in conference play. But, you know, if they can win a couple more series, then they're right back in there. Right, and, that, and that's the thing. Like, because they had chances where, where they were playing against the College of Charleston and they had blown a couple of games. I think Brady Harsey would hit an eighth inning grand slam, and they, they found a way to lose the game after rallying from being down a couple of runs. Uh, obviously, Elon pitched them, uh, pitched JMU very, very well, and they, they lost a tough series at Elon. Uh, but when you, when you go over the course of a couple of conference series and don't win any of them, that's tough. They start off with beating Delaware in a conference series, uh, and they ended up beating William & Mary in a conference series. So they're a little bit in a little bit better shape than they were, but certainly uh, the work is not done yet. Uh, the, the series against Hofstra is important. I think they obviously got to gotta try to sweep Hofstra and move back up the standings a little bit. They're still in last place in the CAA JMU. Uh, so big weekend for the Dukes. One player I did want to point out and talk about a little bit is Trey Dabney, uh, freshman third baseman for JMU. 40 for 120, hitting 333, six homers, two doubles, 22 RBIs, 11 steals. Probably somebody I should be writing about pretty soon uh, because I think he's probably going to be the likely CAA Rookie of the Year in baseball. He's been James Madison's best position player this year. Uh, so if you're paying attention to the Dukes, he's certainly one uh, you, you should have had your eye on for a while and definitely have to pay attention to as they come down the stretch here. 
So that's, that's kind of where baseball is at at this point. Big game against UVA tomorrow. Hopefully, for JMU's sake, it goes better than the last time they played Virginia. It was a mess uh, a couple of weeks ago over at Veterans Memorial Park. Uh, I covered that game, and, and UVA just took advantage of every mistake JMU made. I think that was the eighth straight loss in that 10-game losing streak. So baseball is right there. Softball, they're sitting pretty. Uh, JMU softball sitting pretty. 36-7 overall, 14-1 in the CAA. Host Virginia today in a doubleheader. That's where Shane is headed next. Shane, what's your impressions of the softball team? You've seen them a couple of times now. Well, like you said, they're just they're impressive, sitting pretty. They're, you know, barring a huge collapse here, they're going to win their conference. And, you know, they're almost to the point now where they got to start thinking about, you know, making an impression on the NCAA selection committee so they can hopefully host a regional, maybe be in position. Again, being a super regional host might be a little bit of a reach for them, but, you know, that also depends on who advances out of those first weekends of the NCAA tournament. So, um, But, yeah, they're getting to the point of the season where they're thinking – they may not admit they're thinking down the line, but that's what's going to be the big deal for them at this point because the CAA title is almost a uh, – foregone conclusion for the regular season. Yeah, and there's not that much regular season left. I mean, you're talking about two games today, a series against Drexel at home uh, this coming weekend, and then they're at Delaware the following weekend, and that's it. Uh, Time for postseason play and the CAA tournament. So really not much regular season left. Do you think they kind of got to win out just to make an impression? I mean, you're only talking about, what, eight games? Uh, And they've pretty much taken care of business throughout the year. Uh, would you expect them to kind of take care of business and set themselves up, at least to be viewed in the committee's eyes as, as a probable regional host? I would think so. They've been hitting the ball so well and getting the kind of pitching that you would expect from them. Uh, you know, both Megan Good and uh, Alexander Odyssey, like they have just been fantastic between the two of them. And, you know, <clears throat> when you got two arms like that, you know, they and you know, their third and fourth arms are pretty good too, like, but. You know, when you've got two pitchers like that, you're going to be set up to, you know, do pretty well pretty much every weekend. What do, what do you expect today uh, as they as they play Virginia? Um, I think they should probably handle uh, UVA pretty pretty solidly. That that's a program that's struggled quite a bit down through the years. It's a for as much success as they've had throughout the athletic department at UVA, the softball program has been one they've never really been able to figure out how to get going. Yeah, it's it's interesting because JMU is obviously a. a one of the premier programs, I would say, at least in at least in this region, mid-Atlantic, you know, northeast, southeast, however you want to kind of term it, where we are in the middle of the state, and Virginia Tech's gotten going a little bit there in the top 25, or were in the top 25. I haven't looked at the most recent rankings, but uh, yeah, it's interesting that UVA softball hasn't been able to really get going in the right direction. Uh, when you look when you look at the CA tournament, obviously James is going to be the one seed. Uh, does that? How does that benefit them? I guess as as they look to make another run toward a toward a CA championship. Well, I mean, in these kind of you know baseball softball tournaments, it always you know helps you to be seated higher because you can kind of uh, line up your pitching to, you know, presumably you can get through the first rounds without you know too much trouble. Save some arms, you know, maybe even you know save some bats. You know, have some people you know uh, do that. Maybe get some shorter games early on. So you know that's probably the key thing about. You know the seeding. They've you know shown they can beat any team in the uh, conference. So whoever is on the other side probably doesn't matter a whole lot at this point. And they're going to play at home, and you know they're going to be huge favorites to win that tournament. But that's the you know that's why they give you the higher seed is you earn that advantage to 
you know, be able to kind of line things up a little bit and <clears throat> save your save your strengths for uh, later rounds. One team that will have the number one seed when their conference tournament starts is James Madison Lacrosse. They finished the regular season fourteen and three and six and zero in the CAA. CA champions, regular season champions again. Uh, the tournament uh, starts next week. Uh, Friday, uh, we'll start the semifinals at Centara Park, and JMU is the number one seed. How do you assess this? Do you expect, do you expect another CA title for, for the James Madison lacrosse program? Yeah, I expect that they would. Um, you know, the league as a whole probably is down a little bit from where it was last year where they had, you know, JMU obviously was, you know, one of the top five programs in the country all season and went on to win the national championship. And then Towson was also, you know, top 10 program for most of the year last year. And, you know, their games were really hard fought. Both of those teams are not quite as good as they were last year. Um, but JMU's a good team. They're a team that could, you know, make a run in the NCAA tournament, maybe not all the way to the national championship this time around, but they're going to, you know, do some things. And I think they should be able to handle the league tournament pretty easily once they, uh, you know, get back to Centara Park and playing at home and all that. This is a question I asked you a lot during basketball season, uh, and the answer was was no. Was could JMU make the tournament, make the NCAA tournament if they don't win the CAA tournament? I'll ask you the same question for this lacrosse team. If they don't win the CAA tournament, you think they're still in the NCAA tournament? I would think so, but it might be you know a more difficult road for them if they don't do that. But you know, you look at it's this kind of different situation where you know lacrosse is. You know, it's a growing sport, but it's still a little bit more of a regional sport. Not They're not contending with as many teams, even though the field is not as big. Um, but, and they also, you know, they have that reputation now. They've, they've won a national championship. Like, those teams that have done something like that tend to get the benefit of the doubt when it comes to uh, selections from years down the road. Um, but I think they're solidly in the NCAA tournament, regardless of what happens from here. In your, in your conversations with Shelly Claus-Balkum, the head coach, what, what does she like about this year's group uh, that might be different than last year's team that won the national title? Oh, I think um, she really likes the defensive effort of this team. She's you know been high on that from the start, even when early in the season maybe they weren't getting the kind of offensive production they were used to a year ago. Um, and I think she likes the way that that's coming around, too, that you know they're, um, they're getting better shot selection, basically. Um, they don't have as many of the kind of kids who last year could kind of just take over a game one-on-one the way, you know. I always, you know, you could kind of always relate. If you're not as familiar with lacrosse and the strategy and everything, you can always kind of think of it along the lines of basketball. And, you you know, last year they had a really good, what was the equivalent of a point guard with Katie Kerrigan who could really distribute the ball. And then, like, once, you know, an attacker like Christian Gaudian got in her stick, you know, she was a threat to score from just about anywhere. This year, it's been a lot more about how they choose to shoot the ball and, you know, when and where and the shot selection. And that's something that's just come along with uh, the experience of figuring out what it takes to get the good looks. Um, so they've been doing a lot better job of that here in the last couple of weeks. Interesting. So James Madison lacrosse, wait and see mode uh, until they figure out who they're playing in that first round or that semifinal round, excuse me, of the CAA tournament. Uh, and that'll be Friday in Harrisonburg uh, at Centara Park. Uh, Shane's going over to JMU softball uh, this afternoon. There, 4 p.m. doubleheader. 
against Virginia today. And then I am headed uh, over to Eastern Mennonite University for a nice little D3 rivalry game. Uh, what, what do you call it? The, the Clash on 42? How, how would you kind of assess it? Do you have a nickname for that rivalry? I, I never thought of a nickname for it, but that, that could work. Yeah. Okay, all right. Because uh, EMU hosts Bridgewater. Uh, as ODAC play uh, about wraps up for those teams uh, on the baseball side. And it'll be a little different uh, than, than my last week baseball game I got to cover when I went up to Nats Park uh, to see the Eastern Mennonite product, Eric Kratz, uh, who plays for the San Francisco Giants now. Kind of been in the big leagues for a while uh, at this point in his career. But it was interesting going up there, talking to Kratz, talking uh, to some of those Giants teammates, just to give you a little flavor. Uh, you can kind of catch up on the stories, DNR Online, Dukes of J, or not DukesofJMU.com, that's that's the wrong team. Yeah. Uh, but DNROnline.com, uh, you can catch up uh, on the Kratz stuff. But uh, it was just fascinating to hear Eric talk about uh, what, what kind of keeps him in the big leagues. And, and for him, you know, what he told me was it all goes back – uh, to preparation, especially when you're joining a new team. And that that's that's the case for him as he was traded from Milwaukee to San Francisco. You know, that, and that's really what affects the, the nine innings yeah. is, is your preparation. <laughs> Sometimes it enables you to play 18. Um, but just, you know, it's the days that I'm not catching, like today, I have a fuller day than the days that I am catching. Yeah, you know, workouts and... You know, I didn't get to my catch a bullpen today, but I usually catch a bullpen. Um, lifting, preparing, go hit in a cage, go, you know, go get your work in on the field then, and then you come in and the game's ready to start. So it's a it's a full day. It's definitely a full day starting at, you know, 1.30, 2 o'clock when you get here. How much do you got to get caught up to speed on the pitching staff and, and that, that part of it? For sure, a lot. Uh, and, it's, and it's me getting to know these guys but also them feeling comfortable seeing me back there yeah. as much as they can say oh yeah no no you look great you know you've done a great job and you know they my reputation precedes me <laughs> it's still one of those things that you want them to be comfortable and unless they're 100 percent comfortable you know you're not getting the most out of those guys so it's it's a time it takes time you know catching the starters in between their starts and getting an opportunity to catch them in the game, I've caught everybody in the game now except for Bum. Okay. Um, but I've caught, you know, three or four of his sides. So it's something that you just talk to these guys, and it's really, you can see what they do physically, pitching-wise, but it's more of the mental, knowing what kind of guy they are, what what makes them tick, what makes them run. So that was Eric Kretz, uh, just on what he's done to get acclimated in San Francisco. Also talked with a few Giants players, including the all-star catcher Buster Posey, who Kratz backs up. And this was what Posey had to say about Kratz and what, what he's noticed about Kratz as he gets to know uh, the former Eastern Mennonite star. Well, I mean, I think he's been around for so long now. He's like having another coach, um, but, you know, is still contributing on the field. Um, you know, you can tell, again, the reason he's been around for so long is he prepares um, really well, and uh, I think he gives the pitchers confidence when they're out there on the mound. So do you think his, his smarts helps him uh, just in terms of that, that preparation and game planning and when, when you sit in meetings with him? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, he's a sharp guy, and he's also uh, got the experience um, that from doing this for 20 years. And, um, it's uh, definitely an asset. Yeah. 
do you, do you like having that, that guy who can come in and, and, and you know, stay, be, I guess, viable back there and, and be a good backup to you? Yeah, I mean, you look at, there's not probably many people, I would venture to say, in the world that could catch an 18 in a game when they're close to thir turning 39. So it's a, uh, it's a credit to him for how well he takes care of himself. So that, that'll about wrap up this week's edition of the Rocktown Sports Pod. Again, you can catch up all our stories. Cody had a really good one uh, in today's paper about Chris Frazier, uh, the Turner Ashby football coach, uh, and his quest to find a kidney donor. I think that's a very important story you should read. I will have plenty of coverage of the NFL draft, as I mentioned earlier, and, and what happens with James Madison's Jimmy Moreland, and then Shane's all over the softball and the lacrosse. And if anything happens with basketball, anybody answer, enters a portal, uh, Shane, will, Shane will let you know about it. Uh, but big thanks to Shane Metlin on JMU. Jim and Cody as well. Jim Sackle, our sports editor, and Cody Elliott, our prep writer, for joining this week's edition of the Rocktown Sports Pod. Until next week, I'm Greg Medea. Thanks for tuning in.